Hello, it's Anthony Chadwick from the webinar Vet, welcoming you to another episode of Vet Chat, the UK's number one veterinary podcast channel. I'm really pleased today to introduce Julie Wood to you, who is a pet loss counsellor, uh, pet grief, because of course we shouldn't use that word loss, should we really, because it can be uh, a difficult word. But perhaps, Julie, before we go into the topic at hand, Tell us a little bit about yourself, how you found yourself in this area of, of grief counselling. Hi. Oh, well, it's been quite a long old journey. So um, my background is in retail management. Um, so cosmetic companies like Clinique, Clarins, um, Procter & Gamble, those sort of things in London. So I was there for years and years. I was in those department stores. And I knew I wanted to work for myself. I didn't know what I wanted to do. So I went and got some hypnotherapy um, for stress, really. And I knew that was it. That was absolutely it. So I did all my training while I was still doing my other job. And then um, after all my training and my exams, I set up a practice in Covent Garden as a hypnotherapist. And a few years later, I needed to come back to my native northeast. My parents um, were here. My mum wasn't very well. So I came back. And I set up a practice in Saltburn by the Sea. So, um, and it was mainly hypnotherapy. And then since then, I've gone on to do other skills, so psychotherapy and those kinds of things as well. I think you you then sort of wanted to go more into the pet side as well, didn't you? Because obviously yeah. the hypnotherapy was for all conditions, but you'd noticed that there was a real issue around yeah. uh, people, you know, having to well, their, their pets had passed away or whatever. And th there's this grief that we know people go through, you know, at these difficult times. Yeah, so as part of the consultation, I always ask, what's the worst thing to have happened in your life? And more and more times I was noticing that people were putting it to when their animal died. It might have been from when they were really young or it might have been, you know, quite a recent thing but they just couldn't get over the death of a pet. And also because as a society, although we're meant to be animal lovers, we're expected to just move on quite quickly. So they might have been pushed back to going into work. Um, after a couple of days, they might not have got any leave for it. Other people were saying things like, well, you can go and get another dog. And that really wasn't helping. And although people were trying to help, that wasn't um, what was happening. There were certain conditions as well. So somebody came with a sleep problem and they were um we went back we dealt um, we looked back to when it started and when this lady was small she was told her dog was being put to sleep and she went off to school and she expected the dog to be there when she came back because she didn't know that being put to sleep meant euthanized and since then she was never being able to get a proper night's sleep because she was always worried that she would not wake up herself so there was lots of things like that little indicators that the grief hadn't been dealt with and so that's kind of why I focused on it so I took a grief counseling course um, to make sure I wasn't doing anything wrong really but I do tend to use hypnotherapy and um, because it allows the client to say their most loving goodbye. And I suppose we have to be really careful as vets and nurses in the language that we use you know to lose a pet uh, can be an inappropriate term or as you've just said to put to sleep um these are obviously trigger words that can lead to longer term problems as you've just explained 
Yeah, it sounds kinder to say to, to put an animal to sleep um, and or to say, I'm sorry for your loss. We say it all the time. But if you lose something like your keys or something, the chances are you're going to find it again. And it can just kind of prevent the person from moving forward if they're always thinking it's a loss rather than something that is unfortunately permanent. So, yeah, language is so important. Sorry to hear, sorry to hear that... Um... Freddie passed away is a more yeah. appropriate passed way. away is a lovely way to put it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's uh, that's really that's really useful. Uh, perhaps are there any other tips to sort of recommend to vet practice? Some of the things that you've seen from the client side, where the client said, you know, I went in and this happened, and it really wasn't very helpful. I think it's it's such an important consultation. Um, you know, as a vet. I often got pets um, better from quite complex conditions and people would be thankful, etc. But actually, the chocolate and the wine came through the door after you'd actually euthanized a pet often because of the way that you'd done that. I think it's such an important time to show compassion as vets and nurses. But perhaps, you know, what have you seen from the other side where clients have perhaps been upset by what's happened in a practice um so i'll give you an example is during lockdown and this was kind of nobody's fault because it was just lockdown came very quickly there wasn't the space of social distance i had a lady that had to um her, her dog became very ill she had to take it to the vets and hand it over in the street and then she got a phone call to say you know there's nothing we can do what do you want to do do you, do you want us to, to euthanize them? Um, but you have to decide now. And her husband was at work. She didn't know what to do. She was all upset. She felt she hadn't had a chance to say goodbye. Now, I think that happens a lot less now because people are more set up um, for that. But I think just a little bit of compassion. And most people, I'm sure most vets and veterinary professionals are really compassionate mm -hmm. people. But it's... It's sometimes it's how you put it across. So it might be very matter of fact to, to, to the person. You know, you've got to decide now. You know, they're, they're literally, they're in surgery. What do you want to do? And it, it's just really, really traumatic sometimes for clients. Mm. We've actually done some webinars, you know, around all this topic. And I think one of the things is, is very much sometimes to have a pre-euthanasia consultation with or without the pets. Yeah. There aren't many times where the dog is in such a degree of discomfort or cat where, you know, you really have to push for that. And obviously sometimes I always I always used to say, you know, there's three people in the room. There's you, there's me, and there's the cat or the dog and the pet. And the most important person in the room is, is the pet. So we've got to make the right decision. And sometimes, you know, you were talking a little bit about guilt and regret before. I would say to people, it's better to take the pet's a week too early than a week too late because if the last period of the pet's life is really uncomfortable and particularly if they've had advice and they've not taken that advice then you know that's not fair on on the animal either so yeah. very rarely did I have that problem because I think vets are trusted so people do listen to our advice on the whole but I absolutely agree you know giving them a chance to take the pet home for 24 hours uh, and then I was a big um, fan of if people wanted it, I would be very happy to do it at home because actually having that happen 
at home is often a much nicer experience than having to you yeah. know, get the animal to the, the the practice. Maybe you have to wait a bit before you could go in, and then you know, um, to a degree, there's a there's a bit more rush involved than if you're at home where things can be taken, mm-hmm. um, you know, at a slower pace. Uh, I suppose the other thing is. You know, in human uh, situations like this, we often have a funeral which marks the end of the process or the beginning of the process because, you know, we're rushing around. I know my mum's birthday's today. She passed away eight years ago. And for the two or three weeks longer now with COVID, but, you know, the week or two before the funeral, you're so busy doing things. People are coming to the house, you're sharing good stories, that actually it's when the funeral's happened and people go out that's sometimes the time when you've got more time to reflect and, and to mourn and yeah. go through that process of grief. And grief is a many-layered process, isn't it? You know, yes. you, you go through yeah. that blame, you go through that anger stage until you get to acceptance. Do, do you think, um, you know, we often have that ability to send people's uh, pets off to be cremated, have the ashes back. There are some places where you can go to the actual, you know, yeah. crematorium and, and see cremation happening is that something that is necessary for everybody or can be held cases I think it's useful to have the choice so um for instance I've had clients that never want the ashes back at all and I've got some that have them sitting on the sideboard in a huge urn um yeah so everyone is different but I think to have the choice is good something that some vets have done that I've spoken to and they've got they've gone away and managed to fit it into their practice is that they've made a room for the clients to sit and maybe be with their pet for about 10-15 minutes beforehand and say their last goodbyes without a nurse standing there with the needle and the razor to shake you know without um, being sort of feeling like they, it's now kind of thing. So they've been able to, to take them to a private room, say goodbye. Perhaps they've had a cup of tea made before or afterwards. Um, and that's good. And if you have got somebody in your area that does jewellery or somewhere where you can put the fur in or maybe take a paw print um, of the animal um, before they, um, you know, before they're euthanised or afterwards if that's more appropriate but just so that they've got something to take home like like a memorial for them so that can be quite good if you've got any books around um pet on a grief that they they can have or advice that if they've got children that might be the sort of thing that they want you know how do I explain to my children yeah all those kinds of things but a little room if, if there's room in your practice for somewhere to go and also I think it's important that after the vet uh, and the nurse has had to do the euthanasia, if they have time to go and just take five or ten minutes before moving on to the next patient, mm-hmm. um, and maybe yeah. they could use that room for that as well. I remember um, when I was about five, I went off to Spain. It was the first time I went abroad, you know, obviously with my mum and dad, and my aunt and my uh, nana lived with us as well. My sister had come on the holiday, and... Uh, we had a lovely time, and then when we came back, I was told that um, my little budgerigard escaped out of the cage and had flown free. And being a bit knowledgeable of birds, even at that young age, I realised that the sparrows may have hounded the poor budgie to death, so it probably had a really horrible death. 
when I got to 16, there was a chance conversation at the dinner table about, you know, how the budgie had actually been found dead on the bottom of the cage. But to not upset me, a white lie had been spoken. And, you know, I used to count, counsel people all the time, you know, oh, the kids will be home when we get back. We're just going to say that it's gone off to, you know, a farm or something. Um and I used to say, please, you know, kids have to learn about this and often we'll cope with it better than, than adults will. Please just tell them the truth because these are important areas that they need to see that their parents are, you know, truthful with them. Yeah. So I don't know if you've, if you've seen some examples of that or how you, you know, advise or have people got guilty about that because they have perhaps misled uh you know, younger children? Um, it's more when people have got older and they've looked back and resented that their parents weren't truthful with them yes. um, for that. So, yeah. um, and again, I think the parents think they're doing the right thing. But the other thing is, is if a child is allowed to deal with the death well, if that's, if, if there is such a yes. way of doing that, that means when it comes to humans passing away, that they're more likely to deal with that in a better way than if they've never had a chat, yeah. you know, usually when a pet dies, that's the first experience of grief that children have. But the other thing yeah. is, is that children are very curious. And what sometimes happens is the adult is still all upset. And the children are asking, yeah, but what happens when it dies? What happens? What do they do? And yeah. if they've got an urn and they're trying to tip out the ashes because they don't understand how a dog this big can fit in an urn this big. And the yeah. parents are getting really, really angry and thinking they're doing some terrible thing, but it's only just childish curiosity. So yeah. I would advise people, if you have a young one who is curious, don't leave the ashes somewhere where they might want to just have a look and see, and don't be yeah. upset. They're not trying to be morbid, and they're not trying to be horrible. They're just curious. They just they don't know what's going on, and they're just curious. And I think that's a, a way to look at it. Do you want to become a part of the largest online veterinary community in the world? The Webinar Vets membership is the perfect tool to easily complete your veterinary CPD or CE. Watch webinars anytime, any place, on any connected device. Become a member today and explore our library of over 2,000 premium quality webinars. We also care about the environment as well as your CPD or CE. That's why we plant trees for every one of our members. To find out more, visit thewebinarvet.com forward slash memberships or click on the membership tab on our website. My mum and in fact even neighbours and relatives who lived around where, where when I was growing up, they, they said, you know, you are the boy that is always asking the question, why? Yeah. Why? 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 And I think, you know, Maybe I did that a bit more than, than other children, but I, I agree. I think, you know, children are curious, aren't they? Yeah, they are. Um, and the other thing, if somebody has a family, so this is a really good idea um, and it works really well with loads of my clients. And it might be something that some of the vet practices want to put in place um, to, to give as a gift. I mean, I don't know, but they would make an album. So you've got young children can draw a picture of the dog. Older children might want to write a letter. I'm saying dog, but, you know, obviously yeah. any animal. Put photographs in, because quite often now everything is on our phone or our laptop. We don't have that many physical photos. And then if you lose yeah. all the photos off your phone, they've kind of all gone. But it's good that if you have, a, like, a shared album 
and everyone contributes to it, it gives a kind of a reason to speak. It opens up the conversation. Or oh, do you remember when they did this? Or oh, do you remember when when he knocked that over or whatever whatever happened? Mm. But it is quite a good thing. So some of the pets, um, sorry, the vets that I've worked with, they give a, like an empty album, um, but with the, the animal's name on, and they give it. Um, and some sense cards, and I know somebody who makes bespoke cards from the vets as well, you know, with their own um, logos on and things like that. Um, so there's, there's all that kind of thing. I know when my own cat passed away, and I was over the moon when I it was just an ordinary card um, that I got, you know, like a bereavement card from the vet. But I was amazed to get it, and it was about a week later. It was about a week yeah. after it'd been euthanized, and it meant it meant yeah. a lot. You know, often people say people don't care how much you know, but they want to know how much you care. And this is uh, it's so important because, you know, we, we have a responsibility, I think, as professionals to also empathize to the client. We know that, you know, when you lose a, a pet, you said the worst thing to happen in your life is a question you often ask. But, you know, to lose a treasured pet that you've maybe had for 15, 20 years is like losing a member of the family. So it obviously is a very traumatic time for people. Um, Quite often clients will say one of the reasons they feel guilty is because they miss the animal more than they miss a parent or an aunt or a grandparent. And I say, but how often did you see that relative? And they say, oh, you know, maybe once a month or something. So how often did you see your pet? And it was every day and every night, you know, on the bed, first thing in the morning, Mm. last thing in the night. Of course they're going to miss it more. Yeah. But they feel as though they should, it's a horrible word, should, but they feel like they should feel miss the human more, but actually they're missing the animal more. Yes. Sometimes also, you know, particularly dogs, although this cat uh, that adopted me three years ago, you know, was a growler, wouldn't let you touch it, not growling, but, you know, letting you know that you weren't to go near. And now he jumps on my lap when I sit down after dinner and, you know, demands... 20 or 30 minutes of stroking so uh they they can change around can't they but um you know for some people that they've they've been let down by humans but they often say but a dog never lets you down because yeah. he's a very faithful yeah. creature it's there for you each morning yeah. takes you, you don't know, judge you, you it doesn't judge you so i, I absolutely that. exactly yeah and um, explain to us how the hypnotherapy sessions um you know, happen and how often. So presumably it differs with every different client you see, but is there a sort yeah. of standard one that you can tell Yeah, us about? so what happens first is that the person would get in touch usually. So this is if they're coming and they know that they're coming because they're grieving for their animal, not because it's something like sleep and that we discover yeah. it later. So if they know they're coming specifically yeah. for help um, with grief for their animal they would get in touch and then we would arrange a chat on the phone and it takes about 20 to 30 minutes and the things that I'm looking for is the circumstances surrounding the death um, if there are any other animals in the house as well who else has been impacted by it and if they're religious because they you know what do they believe happens mm-hmm. after death because not everybody thinks it's a rainbow bridge and that they're going to go to heaven, you know, that all animals go to heaven, but some people do. And so you can tailor it around what they believe and what they need. So that those are the kind of things. Yeah. Also, I would check that there's no contraindications for hypnotherapy, like there are certain mental health conditions that you shouldn't use with it, and I'd have to use something else. Um, so we'd go through all that. And then we would do the first session. 
and the first session is an hour and a half and it can be either be That's online. Face -to -face, yeah. presumably, so, or it can be online. Yeah, face-to-face -face or, or online. Face -to -face? Yeah, face-to-face -face or online. And so there would be a more in-depth consultation. And with that, I might be looking at what other kind of grief they've experienced. So in case it's developing into compound grief. So you might get somebody yeah. whose dog has died now, but suddenly all the things that happened in the past that they thought that they'd moved on from come back. So a, a good example of this actually is a lady I had that came to see me because her dog had died. And she didn't know why she felt so guilty. She had other dogs that had died, but she couldn't get over this particular one. And what had happened, what, what it emerged was her mum had gone into a care home about two years before. She'd had Alzheimer's and the client had had to admit her in the end. She tried to care for her at home. It wasn't working. She had to. And about two weeks later, her mum passed away. And she thought that she'd moved on from that. You know, she knew consciously that she'd done the best she could. When her dog died two years later, wham, it all came back. Everything. She was completely swamped with grief from her mum. So we'd be looking at things like that as well in the session. So sometimes it's not just about the animal. It's everything else that comes with it. So I've had people um, bringing up things, information, and things like terminations or children leaving home or losing a job or a divorce, anything that's got loss where you suddenly feel this big emptiness, that can all come back, come flooding back when the animal dies. So sometimes the sessions are longer. So most people have two sessions. So the first one's an hour and a half and the second one's an hour. And some people have them just a week apart. But some people save the second session because they're worried about the first birthday or the first Christmas and how they're going to cope. But sometimes by the time they get to that stage that they don't even need to save second session but um yeah it's um that that's kind of the way the sessions go so i would say to people that to get comfortable and so that i can see their face okay so they're not holding their phone like that so it's propped up most people close their eyes because it's more comfortable but if they want to leave them open and find a spot on the ceiling to stare at instead they can do and then I explained that they're in complete control, so I can't make them run, like, run around like a chicken or get their pin number out of them or make them do anything they don't want to do. And I tell them what the experience will be like um, and that they can go about their business afterwards. And what we do is during the hypnosis session, I usually get them to say their most loving goodbye. So under the power of hypnosis, they can then say all the things that they wished that they'd have said to that animal wish that they could explain um, because people do feel guilty. They feel guilty that they didn't choose euthanasia, uh, euthanasia sooner because they did test after test after test after test, even though deep down they knew it wasn't going to do any good and they put their animal through that. Or they wish that they'd have done more testing because what if they suddenly found this miracle thing that could have worked? So whatever it is, they blame yeah. themselves and have all this regret. So by doing it under hypnosis and letting them explain how they came to their decision to their animal it's a it's a really powerful thing and that's kind of the way that we do it and then they're trying to go about their business afterwards you know they don't get stuck in any trance i'd always say as well that if we lose the connection if they don't hear my voice and there's a bit of music going on um for five minutes they'll bring themselves out of the trance so that there's no worry about them just getting stuck there um, and you can't anywhere with hypnosis but it is something people worry yeah. about
I think maybe to finish as well, I, I remember working with a vet who just could not put a dog to sleep. I mean, it was really, really difficult for them. And quite often, you know, people would come back to see me because it was quite clear what had to happen. But, you know, the vet was not able to do that themselves. Um, do you see sort of examples of where vets just really struggle with this, um, maybe because of the amount that they're doing? Or just that it's a concept that they can't quite get their head around, that they have that, you know, power to be able to to be able to take that pet's life because it's the appropriate thing yeah, to do. Yeah, I've time. had um I did have a actually a religious client that was a vet, but didn't believe that they should have the authority to do that. Um but then yeah. the way that I spoke about it was well. You know, so they had a very powerful belief in God. So I said, but your, your God made you a vet to mm. do the best by these animals. And would that God want this animal to suffer? And kind of we, we approached it that way in that they were doing the kindest thing. Um, they, they weren't doing anything. Mm. They weren't being all powerful and deliberately taking a life. What they were doing is putting an animal out of its suffering and out of its pain and a compassionate God would surely want that and they agreed with that and that's kind of how we we got through that bit yeah. so there are different reasons sometimes it might be yeah. that that vet has not dealt with a bereavement themselves particularly well in the past or they've had to suppress it to, to carry the rest of the family with them um, and just pretend and just got on with it and just pretended and so that's why they can't bring themselves to do it so there's all sorts of different reasons why people struggle with it so yeah, it's um, hmm. it's a challenge. It's a, it's a really um, you know important topic. I think it, it's great that we we talk about it. Um, you know, words can make a big difference. The way we say them, also you know, as vets, the way that we approach those, um, I would say challenging, but they're also um, you know, I often felt very privileged to be in that position of being able to help you know, a pet move over uh, to the other side and to to be able to comfort the uh, the client. So the more that we can sort of think about this and make sure that we get it right, I think it's, it's just so important. It's why many of us become yeah. vets because we care about animals and we want, yeah. as you said, to do our best for them. So Thank you, Julie, for everything that you do in this area, you know, supporting clients. Because often, you know, clients have moved on. We've put the dog or the cat uh, down, you know, we've euthanized it. And then, of course, we may send a card. But it's very hard for practices which are now very, very busy, yeah. with, you know, post-pandemic puppies and kittens to actually still be able to check in on that client. I suppose a, a final question is, you know, every client is different, but it's making sure that clients don't feel guilty to get another pet yeah. after that pet. Because sometimes you, you feel, well, this this pet can never be replaced because he was so he or she was mm -hmm. so special. Any last thoughts on that before we finish? Yeah, the, the and again, that's something that clients feel guilty about. There's all this guilt, I think, because they have to make the decision. But the way that I look at it and the way I explain to them is, not taking the place of the dog or the animal that passed away, it's filling the space. So you might get somebody who lives on their own or they need an yeah. emotional support dog or they just miss having an animal around. 
And it's not taking the place of the one who died. It's, it's absolutely not. And they, the one who died, you know, the animal that died, probably loved their owner to death and they would want their owner to be happy. They would want their owner to lavish all that love that they used to give the other dog onto another dog who maybe needs it. And I do get clients who say to me, I'm never going to get another animal. I can't do this again. I'm never going to do it. And then it's like you were saying before. And then, you know, a couple of weeks later, they'll ring me and they say, oh, I don't know how to tell you this. But somebody, you know, it's like it was meant. Somebody was having to get rid of their animal or it was in a rescue and nobody wanted it. And I just, yeah. you know, I couldn't see it. There. I had to, to do something. So it's about filling the space but not taking the place. And that I think that can be quite comforting. That's something you can say to your clients if they ask you when's the right time to get another dog or cat. But I wouldn't suggest it yourself to them. I think people do get a bit tired of people, well-meaning friends saying, oh, well, you can get another cat or dog. But it's when they're tired, when it's right for them. Yeah. It's, it has to be yeah. the client. Yeah, it's decision, when it's right for it? them. Yeah. Julie, thanks so much. Really appreciate your time and for everything that you do for, for clients who are struggling. Uh, so please do carry on the thank good you. work. Thanks very much. Bye-bye.